Hey, this is Wicked Spursy, Mike, Steve, Dave, and occasionally a special guest, here to talk about the club that we love, Tottenham Hotspur. Come on you Spurs, let's go. All right, we are live. This is Wicked Spursy, Season 1, Episode 16. I'm Dave, joined by my guys, Steve and Mike. Steve, how are you today? Second dose of the vaccine running through my veins. I am so pumped right now. You can see it in your eyes. You're ready to take on the world, man. Ready, ready for anything. Mike, how about you? How's life going? Um, I'm like, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty good, man. I I had a rough weekend at work. Uh, I was on call. Um, my weekends are I'm on call for 49 hours uh, straight, and I worked uh, of those 49, I worked uh, about 26 hours. So uh, most of those late night hours. So it was a little rough, but uh. Got a nap in uh, today. I left work a little early. Got a nap in, and I'm I'm feeling great. Um, I'm sure Steve will probably want a nap in a few hours here, but we'll see. He's got to be dad too, though, right? Yeah, somebody's <laughs> got to be. Mike, should I ask why 49 hours as opposed to 48? What's the story? Um, just because of a uh, shift change. A little overlap wow. built in basically yeah so when the second shift leaves at 11 p.m um for the weekend so we get that one hour on friday that's very exciting very exciting <laughs> indeed all right so hey we are uh we are post wolves and we've got wolves action from yesterday to talk about and then we're just going to get into some things like kit buying and american perspective on ticket prices we got a lot of random things to talk about this week and we're going to see see where things go we also have a special announcement we're just going to tease you that we're going to have a special announcement next week that we'll share with you but before we get to that uh, mike i'm wondering if you would take a couple minutes to talk about our friends at goodwater and uh talk about the the goods that they have uh as per usual um I, you know, I, I, I can't uh, stress enough how, uh, how wonderful this place is. Um, Good Water has, has the, uh, the finest uh, non-IPA beers, I think, in Vermont. Um, currently, I am drinking the uh, Pilsner, um, but they have a Stange that I love, too, which is great lawnmower beer. Everybody seems to love that one. They were doing it uh, initially in the spring, and it was so popular that they had to start making it uh, year round. Um, and they have a number of different other ales too. Um, but the two big ones for this summer right now are the pills and the, and the salty Scott, which is a Scottish ale. Um, outside of that, they have wonderful, amazing food um, from week to week. They'll have food specials. They have a new chef. So um the food is still the same. Your cheese sauce isn't going to change, Steve. The rest oh, is still God. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do have a new Don't chef. Don't mess uh, with the sauce, right? Don't mess with the sauce. That's correct. They have a new chef, and and uh, the the food is the menu is all going to stay the same for now. Uh, integrating some new stuff too, but there's the wings are great. They're crispy. Um, they got a bunch of different flavors. Uh, burgers are great so uh, get on down there uh they have a nice outdoor seating area and this time of year we're gonna have a really really nice uh week this week so i would i would suggest getting down there for this weekend it's gonna be a great one very good thank you for sharing that mike um, i have to mention you you brought up lawnmower beer and just a quick quick story you can tell you're getting old when you say to your wife 
I'm really excited. My new lawn tractor is being delivered today. That was what I said to my wife on Saturday morning. I, I managed to um, explode the engine on my old lawn tractor last fall. So, you know, needed to get one taken care of in uh, early spring. So the grass was getting pretty long, but I, I was very excited to be on a new lawn tractor on, on Saturday. And I truly have no shame about that. It, it just, it was what it was and felt good about it. I had the same, I had the same exact conversation with my wife this time last year. And she told me, she said, you're crazy if you think you're getting out there and mowing this lawn in early April. And I said, oh, I'm mowing the lawn in early April. Uh, we didn't get to mow the lawn until May, but. <laughs> I also told my wife, like, if I'm still saying how excited I am in October, then you can get me checked out for, for a problem because I will be over it and, and tired of it by then. But hey, moving on, let's talk Wolves. Uh we had, got a win yesterday. Uh, in the end, the club looked good. Steve, I'd love to hear your take on what you were thinking about the lineups, what you thought of the tactics we saw on the field. Talk to us about Wolves. You know, it's, and I know everybody's kind of been riding high on, on the win and everything. And, you know, I, I kind of hate to be a wet blanket here, but at the same time, I'm, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this as well. Um, you know, there were definitely some, some positives and I'm sure we'll talk a, a lot about that, but the more I think about it, um, the more I feel like that result probably would have been way different if Wolves had somebody up top other than Fabio Silva. Um, you know, the dude scored what, like four goals all season and, you know, our, our defense, you know, Tanganga was, was great, but Dyer still was dire, um, and I mean that both in his name and as an adjective related to his performance. Uh, you know, I, I just feel like if Wolves had anybody better up top, they probably would have gotten a goal or two just based off of, you know, the concrete and Dyer's boots, uh, keeping him, you know, out of position uh, for certain stretches of the game. So, you know, I'm happy with the win and everything, but, you know, I, I just, I feel like it was the perfect game to, to have us thinking, you know, this could have gone completely differently if they could have finished, you know, we, we've talked about this in other, um, you know, in, in other weeks where, oh, well, you know, what if they finished, what if they had a worse person up top, you know, it's, it's clearly all about the defense at this point, right? It doesn't, to me right now, I don't care how well the attack is performing. They should be performing well, right? Like that's not, anything to write home about sun came bail like those are those are names of people who should be performing to a higher level deli alley you know um throw him in the mix too he did have a good game i'll, I'll give him that but uh you know the the same defensive issues are still there and you know it it really bothers me to be celebrating a win when it could have just as easily been a loss or a draw if they just had anybody that could have finished. Yeah, Steve, I, I agree. If Adama Traore, who is a is a a stud on the field, you know what I mean? He he is so fast, he's so powerful, but he can't finish. If he could finish, we would have been down three or four goals in, in that game before we could blink an eye. And you know that that alone was problematic. I I also in our in our chat early in the game, I saw I saw Spurs passing poorly. I saw lack of excitement, lack of motivation. You know, we truly looked lost until Kane got that goal before the half. And I, I think my comment to to the group at the time was, okay, here we are, another 1-0 halftime lead. We're going to try to 
hold on to this one and hope it doesn't disappear, you know, in the 85th minute, like we're, like we're used to having happen. But um, we did benefit from Wolves' inability to, to close the deal. Mike, I'm wondering, do you have a, any sort of positive spin on, on what we saw yesterday? Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, the first half was the first half. Um, it was fine. Um, you know, you had, you had actually Bale was running around, uh, found himself in a couple defensive positions a couple of times. Um, so, I mean, Bale was fine. Uh, Harry Kane doing what Harry Kane does. Um, you know, Sonny, Sonny was good. Sonny found himself in some, in some really nice positions. He looked like he uh, had a little bounce in his step, even, even in the first half. Um, you know, but in, in what Steve is, Steve is saying about Dyer is like, there were a couple of times in that match where, uh, where I saw Traore coming down and going, Oh shit, what's going to happen now? Um, I saw one point where he trucked past Regulon, you know, and then just stopped for some reason because he did what we are always complaining about is he put his hands up and he stopped, put his hands up and said, what about the foul? But there was no foul there. Um, I think he's, I think he's just about had it with Wolves. He's, he, he doesn't, I don't know if he wants to be there anymore, but outside of that, you know, um, getting into the, Actually, let's get to your to your comment on the WhatsApp because if you remember what I said was was uh, we haven't had that one nil lead with sixty percent possession at at that True. point in the game before, True. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, maybe outside of maybe the West Ham game that we ended up blowing, um, but whatever Ryan Mason said to them at halftime, maybe he didn't say anything. Who knows? Um, but they definitely responded in that second half. I mean, um, Wolves didn't didn't have much of a chance to get forward at all during this game. Um, you know, I, I, I think Delhi was if we don't talk about Delhi more often um, going forward here, then I don't I don't know what our problem is because. I, I think this this guy's finding his feet getting his feet under under himself. He's uh, he's smiling out there. He's having a good time. He was super active. He was playing that nine position really really well. Um, he, it, it's kind of cool to see him drop back a little bit um, and, and get into a position where he can actually make plays and create for the for the forward for the other forward guys. Um, the guy I'm really, really happy for because he's put in such a such a season this year. He's played the most minutes of any player in the Premier League. It was Hoiberg, um, even though he was in the right place at the right time for for that amazing that amazing uh, challenge by Regulon to to get the ball back in the corner and then get up off of his feet to to get the ball in. Um, I, I I just I just feel like the second half everybody was kind of clicking it felt good they were everybody was happy it looked like they were playing as a team um you know one solid unit tanganga i was very happy for i think he had a really good game um but you know dyer didn't have a terrible game I, he I, he didn't really have a terrible game he didn't have much to do though he didn't That's, have much he didn't have much to screw up is that the bar uh, is is a not terrible game a good game for Dyer? I I, I, I mean think that I, might be what it is. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that guy might be one of the worst players that Spurs has had since I've watched. Okay. So question to Steve, it just, if you could only have one center back, only one Dyer or Sanchez, which do you pick? Oh, Jesus. That's a hard one. Um, Ah, God, if it had to be, if it had to, had to, had to be one of those two, I would take Dyer over Sanchez simply because, simply because Dyer at least bleeds for the club. You know, his, his work rate, his skill, his positional awareness, you know, we can criticize that all day long, but, you know, unlike Sanchez, this is somebody who would, you know, go to bat for Spurs, you know, even if he was, you know, if both his legs were broken and all he could do was, you know, administrative duties, he would do them, you know, like that's what he does on the field already, Steve. (laughs) Yeah. Except he would have a reason for it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, say what you will about Dyer. And I have, I have just this very episode, right. Um, But (laughs) I, I, I can't fault him for, for his commitment to the club. So uh yeah, I, I would take him over Sanchez for sure. He was uh, the one who said he wanted his ashes to be scattered on the yep. on the pitch, right? Yeah, he earned points with me for that one. That's um, a that's a bold statement for sure. What do you uh, would he have said that about? Would he have said that about Old Trafford though? If we had actually sold him, probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> Steve, Mike, Mike talked about a couple of bright spots from the game. Talked about Reggie and his hustle. Talked about Hoybier and and what he put on the pitch. Did you see anything yesterday that um, that you liked, that you appreciated seeing in terms of player performance? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, Delhi's a huge shout for for a fantastic performance. Uh, but for me, there were there were two areas that I, I really want to discuss. First is is uh, Reggion. You know, he's I love Reggion as a player, and you know, I know he's been defensively inept at times. Um, the word that comes to mind is frantic more often than not. But when he's in the groove, when he's attacking, when he's going after players, that guy is just energy incarnate. Like he is all over the place, you know, it, it, when he's expected to defend and, and um, you know, do a job in, in the defensive third, that's a problem. Yeah, for sure. But man, when he is out on that left wing, pressuring players into making mistakes and giving the ball away and winning tackles, he has absolutely no business winning. He is an absolute joy. I love seeing him break into the box and and trying trying so hard to get that goal. Um, you know, he he is an incredible dynamite player. I just really need him to sort out his defensive responsibilities as well. But man, oh man, do I I love the work rate he puts into it. Um, and almost a mirror of him on the opposite side, Tanganga. He's got some, you know, some work that he could do on his uh, final product going forward. But defensively, man, I would take Tanganga over Aurier on defense. I would take Tanganga over Dardy on defense. That guy is just so silky smooth under pressure. I mean, I made a comment to you guys during the match. Like, you know, there was one instance you had a Wolves player with the ball in the box. Tanganga won that ball from him without giving the penalty away. And that's not something I think Aurier could do. So, you know, see, I was, I I was listening to, uh, I think it was the Dr. Tottenham guys this morning 
and one of them was making a comment about Tanganga, how just steady he is and how reliable he is. And he's still a young kid and how, how he unlocks Bale because Bale doesn't have to worry about tracking back like he does with, with, with Aurier or like he does with Doherty. You know what I mean? So like just having Tanganga in that spot, what I can't figure out is why, why didn't that happen a long time ago? You know, why didn't we make that type of move? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. And I think it all comes down to Ryan Mason, to be honest, at this point, like I just, you know, yeah, we got the win. Yeah. Players performed well, but I just, he is baffling to me with his squad selection. How on earth somebody like Joe Rodon, who has been our, our arguably our best center back outside of Toby for the last, you know, two or three months, how is he not on the bench? How is Sissoko on the bench when he's been absolute dog shit all year? I just, it, it just, his selections, it, it's like there's an ulterior motive there. You know, you see, you see people uh, saying, oh, well, these are just guys who are on the shop window and we, and we got to get them on there. Okay, great, fine. But, you know, Bale's on loan from Madrid, so we're not going to sell him or anything. Like, why not get a Lamella or a Lucas out there? Um, you know, if you're trying to shop these people out and then, you know, if, if you're making subs, Sissoko for bail, I mean, what is he smoking? That's just there. And, and the like, in like the 80th thing. minute, right? Yeah. Like what the hell? Like, are, yeah, you're trying to shut up shop, but I've said it a billion times. Winks and Sissoko on the field together is a disaster. Why would you risk that in the 80th minute when you're leading? Throw literally anybody else on if you want to seal up the game and you've got it. You know, Lamella's got energy for days. Lucas has got energy for days. You want to put them on the field and say, make sure nobody gets past half? Do that. Don't put Sissoko on. Like, what the hell is wrong with you, dude? Um, I just, you know, it. To me, it's either somebody behind the scenes is telling Mason he's got to get these guys on the field or, or in the 18, or Mason is just so completely out of his depth that he is just grasping at straws with how to make things work because he doesn't have his own voice. He doesn't have his own tactical nuances that he can impose on a team. And, and to me, from my perspective, I think he's just far too green for this type of position um and and he's literally just going with something that is familiar to him you know from working under potch um and you know it's working for us right now but it's not a long-term solution um and you know i i think if he really wants to succeed uh in his managerial career he needs to understand that you can't just play underperforming players um, you know, just because they're your buds or just because, you know, some dude told you you need to, you know, you've got to have the stones to just go out and say, you know what, this guy, he's not doing well. He doesn't deserve to play. End of story. Well, you, you know what I think he's what he I didn't notice it before, but I do now is that with his I don't know about his team selection to start the game. But I do know I, I've, I've noticed this. It, it's his his subs are con. They're, they're a response to the other team's subs. It seems like to me. So when somebody when when a manager when another manager makes a sub, you see you see you see uh, Mason make a sub like two minutes later in response to what that manager put on. And and when you're when you're down to a team like Leeds. That, that kind of shit doesn't work. 
that can that can work when you're when you're up to nil but it, it doesn't work when you're down to a team like Leeds. when you're up to nil you can put a, an arguably physical player on like Sissoko a guy who's going to go out and win the ball for you is he um, no is Sissoko going to do that no I mean he he was <laughs> I, I gotta tell I gotta tell you if Sissoko had not come come onto the pitch in that semifinal game a couple of years ago then maybe then maybe we're not talking about Lucas having that hat trick because he came he came in and he was that physical presence going forward he was that in his early Spurs career he's not that anymore he's lost that step and and quite honestly I I feel like um you know a lot of these guys have lost their confidence and 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 that speaks a little bit to what Jose did to this club you saw it the same thing happen with with Man U too like those guys lost their confidence and look the way look at the way they played under Solskjaer for for the first year and a half until you know Ole got his got his gears going and got things moving you know we're going to need a manager that's going to be able to do that and and we needed the anti-Mourinho Mike that's yeah, a good point I've, I've used this analogy before and you being in the the medical field my my wife is an rn so we talk about this kind of stuff especially in covid right we talk about um health stuff all the time but um you know she shared with me once just the simple statement of it it, it takes a person x amount of time to get sick to the extent that they're sick you can expect it's going to take them that same x amount of time to recover from you know what they what they find themselves in when i look at the Mourinho era in that context what was he with us 17 months was that the uh the end the end amount you know there, there's Sounds the fair, right? of course pandemic thrown in there for for good measure but you know it's going to take a while just like it did at united with with ole um it's going to take a while for the for the club at least the players that are still around after the summer to emerge out of those woods that they've been walking into for uh for the past 16 17 months Steve, what do you what do you think in terms of um, the substitution comment that, that Mike made? I think that's interesting. Like whether whether Mason is doing kind of a tit for tat on subs, I haven't looked at it that way. What what do you see? Um, I mean, I'd have to go back and look to see one of those subs, but it honestly wouldn't surprise me. Um, it, it it sounds, you know, I I can't say whether it's how accurate that is, but it sounds honestly close to what might actually be going on. Uh, and, you know, I 100% agree with Mike's point when you're up to nil and you're trying to, you know, do a tit for tat type substitution, it works. But when you're chasing the game, you need to be the one proactive in making changes. You can't react to what the other team is doing because what they're doing is trying to stop you from scoring, right? Like you need to, be the one to push the issue at that point and so if 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 that's the case if that's how mason's kind of approaching his substitution logic then yeah he's really got a lot of learning to do because that's that's not the way you operate a game um for sure um but yeah the the other comments um that i just want to throw out there just you know i'm as Mourinho out as the next guy but the confidence has been an issue for for even longer than Mourinho has been around and uh you know i i do want to just throw out there as much as a new manager is going to help it's going to be equally as important that we get some of the dead weight out some of the bad attitudes um you know ship them out the door do whatever it takes you know box them up and send them 
you know, to the far side of the world for all I care. But, uh, you know, we could get, you know, Pep Guardiola himself could decide he wants to come and, and manage Spurs with his illustrious background. If we still have guys who have a bad attitude in the locker room who are, you know, uh, essentially cancerous to the team and they stick around, you know, he's not going to be able to get Spurs anywhere. It, you know, we need a two-pronged attack this summer. We need a good manager who's going to give us that Spurs football that we all desperately want. But we also need to understand that the players are also culpable for the performances to a certain degree. And, um, you know, these bad eggs need to be need to be sent anywhere else, far away from the first team, for sure. We need to talk about a conversation that some of our fellow Spurs fans in Vermont were having before we we hopped onto the pod today. Mike just shared a, a uh, an article with us from the illustrious Daily Mail, known for its um, accurate reporting and whatnot. So the, the question on the table is whether Harry Kane has expressed his desire to leave and stay in the in the prem. Uh, what kind of money we're talking, et cetera. So let's let's take the wicked Spursy stance. Let's just work our way through this. Um, Mike, I want to know what you think. Do you think Harry Kane will ever be sold by Spurs? And if so, when might that happen? Not this year, dude. All right, that's a pretty direct answer. Steve, what's your take on that same question? I'm with Mike. I don't think he's going anywhere this season. I will play the hypothetical game here just because you know it's something that keeps coming up let's say that in order to fund a rebuild Kane you know Levy says Kane absolutely needs to go you know without a doubt he's being sold this summer for whatever reason um the only situation I see as working out is if he goes abroad there's absolutely no way whatsoever he gets sold to Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea. He's not going to any of those teams. I don't care what bonkers money they offer. There's absolutely no way Daniel Levy lets Harry Kane go to any of those places. So, you know, and if he does, he's he's going to be out of a job because, you know, I'm sure Spurs fans in London will absolutely go for his head if he lets that happen. And, you know, I, Manchester United couldn't even talk Dortmund into, into giving him Jaden Sancho and they offered crazy money for Jaden Sancho. Yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, and if he wants, you know, if Kane wants to push the issue and he wants to win trophies, he can go win trophies in La Liga. He can go win trophies, you know, with PSG who could probably afford to purchase him. You know, they're one of the few clubs, I think, who, who has the funds to do it. But there's absolutely no way in hell he goes to any direct rival. Um, it would just be, I mean, it would be a disaster for Spurs to sell Harry Kane to a direct rival, no matter the money. And again, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. We don't have a great recruitment strategy, so I don't care how much money. You know, if City comes in and says, we're going to give you 500 million pounds for Harry Kane, great. Spurs would waste it. I mean, let's be honest, they're, they're, they would throw that down the drain on players that are not going to get us where we need to go. I would much rather have Harry Kane than 500 million pounds worth of garbage players who aren't going to get us anywhere. There you have it, folks, the wicked Spursy stance. Not this year, dude, and uh, not under any conditions that any of us can imagine, as, as Steve put it. So, <laughs> so there we are. Hey, let's, uh, let's look a little bit ahead. Let's talk Villa for a minute. And before we talk Villa, I want to talk about ticket prices. I, there was some some hubbub in the 
the English media a couple weeks ago around the Villa match. Uh, fans are going to be allowed in the ground for the first time in a long time, and people were upset about what the what the tickets for that match were going to the cost. I think I saw uh, sixty pounds and up is kind of what they were talking as as initial prices. We we started a conversation with ourselves that is American fans brought up in capitalistic uh, sports society we, we see ticket prices a little bit differently and we're maybe used to different things mike can you capture kind of the spirit of um what your perspective as an american football supporter is on on ticket prices for events um so not not really knowing uh much about how how they charge or what they charge for seats there um I know they have like a level, a, le- a level, depending on what team you're playing, uh, that kind of stuff. And um, they have the same type of a thing in the NFL and, uh, and in the, and the MLB, MLB is more kind of, you know, the higher ticket prices are weekend games against, against in division rivals. Um, so m- my thought on it is that to me, it's not a, that's not a lot of money. I, I, I think I mentioned to you guys that I would pay for all of us tickets for all of us to go and our families. <laughs> um, because, because when, you know, I, I took my kids to Yankee stadium um, for the first time a couple of years ago, it was easily um, tickets was a $300 affair just for the tickets for the, for the four of, or for the three of us, um my wife didn't go but and then uh and then you know you pack food and drinks and whatever on top of it you know fuzzy little fingers and you know number one fingers and whatever you want to pom-poms and and, and you end up you end up spending a thousand dollars on a family outing to a game now um i know things are typically a little cheaper in europe uh including their health care um but sorry, whole different podcast right there. I had to throw that in there. I had to throw that in there. Um, but you know, I, I think that fans in, in, in England, um, well in fans in London, in London, Tottenham, um, in particular should be upset that their ticket prices are getting raised the way they are one, because of the fact that we've just gone through pandemic and, people are hurting and people just want to get out and see their favorite, their favorite team play to the amount of money that they raise the ticket prices. Um, that's a huge, huge thing. Um, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on much, much longer about this, but I know there are teams that are giving away tickets. Right. Right. And, and we know that teams don't make their big revenue off of off of gate receipts anyway, right? And I so think, that's and I, a, yeah, and I think that I think that Chelsea is even, Chelsea and Arsenal are both. I think their ticket prices are cut in half. In fact, there's a joke in there probably somewhere, but we won't we won't, won't go anywhere with that one. <laughs> As they should be, I guess. Well, we can say. <laughs> there you go. That, that's enough, Steve. What's your what's your perspective on this? You know, I. Growing up, I never really was into, you know, going to like NFL or MLB games or anything. You know, I was always, um, you know, if anything, like if I wanted to go to a live sporting event, it was MLS. It was uh, New York Red Bulls. You know, they were in Harrison, New Jersey. Their, you know, Red Bull Arena went up. 
uh, and it was easy for me to get to. Tickets were cheap, you know, it was super easy. And honestly, the first time I ever saw Spurs play was at Red Bull Arena. The guy, the, the sales guy for New York Red Bulls called me up one day, um, you know, when I was in high school and uh, he was like, hey, you know, we've got a double header. It was um, Red Bulls versus Man City and then Sporting uh, Lisbon versus uh, Tottenham. And tickets were like 20 bucks each. So it's like, well, yeah, hell yeah, I'll go to that. You know, two games for $20, like that's a no brainer. Um, so, you know, I was able to go, I was able to see Spurs and I was able to fall in love with the team. And, and you know, that's what led me here. Um, so I, I am fully 100% supportive of, of low cost sporting events for the simple reason that it just, you know, to me, soccer in particular should be a sport that's available for everybody, you know, working class uh, and up, they should all be able to enjoy um, going and seeing their team play live. It is a amazing experience to just be in that stadium, hearing all the noise, you know, um, and, and to bring it back to like the more Americanized perspective, you know, you can, I like, I can watch, uh, you know, my, my football team, and I'm sure you guys are going to laugh, the Giants, uh, God help me, but, uh, you know, I, I can watch them on TV and it's, you know, it's no big deal. They've got so many advertisement breaks built into, you know, uh, NFL games that it, it's almost preferable to watch it on TV or, you know, tailgating outside the stadium rather than physically being in the location. But it's a completely different experience to watch a soccer game in the stadium um, with other fans all on their feet, all screaming and cheering and, and going to town. Um, and, you know, it's the affordability that, that got me into Spurs. It's the affordability um, from what I've read that has gotten many Spurs fans into White Hart Lane um, you know, back when it was still White Hart Lane and, and not this amazing stadium. Uh, and, and I guess my big concern is that this capitalistic American business model for sports is what a lot of these teams are starting to try to model uh, over in Europe. And and I'm not a fan of it. You know, I think it prices um, fans out. It, it makes it so that... Yeah, you know, it could be like a, a big, fun, you know, once in a lifetime type trip, you know, where you're spending thousands of dollars on, on a single game. But, you know, those people who are dropping the money, like, Mike, I mean, do you go to Yankee Stadium all the time? Like, are, are you going down to uh, to Fenway, you know, 10 times a year? Right, right. Steve, that's, that's the point that I wanted to make is, I think quantity and like, Timing of matches is is a function as well. So look at Major League Baseball. By the way, Mike, we need to, to state for the record, at this moment, the Chicago White Sox have the best record in baseball. I almost also, texted you today. They, they uh, did overtake the Red Sox over the weekend. Yeah, Red Sox are tied for the third best record in baseball. So both of our Sox are uh, are playing, playing well. Um, but look at baseball, 162 games. That's 81 home games. Anyone I ever knew, I used to, to share in some season tickets with someone and me sharing that was a common thing i bought 15 games from a guy who owned 81 games most people i know who had season tickets for baseball use it as an investment they use it as a means to make money to to upsell the tickets and to make a little bit of money you know if you look at football 16 games maybe sometimes 17 games so you got eight home games that's much much different basketball's 41 home games if you look at the nba but you look at your local 
football club in England, which uh, geographically is small. Most towns have a local club. Like that's that's a that's an outing, right? That's a public event. And I'm not saying it's the same thing, but you think of like the Friday Night Lights football concept in the U.S., where you know the town has the event going on. That's what a football match could be. Whereas my experience growing up was going to a ball game was a special and very rare event because of how darn expensive it was and because of how hard it was to get tickets. So it feels like the culture around sport and attendance at a local event is a factor. I think a lot of it come a lot of the, uh, the, the high paid players in these big sports. Once, when, once these mega contracts started coming out and stuff, you, you had these super agents like Boris and, and Drew Rosenhaus and Lee Steinberg and, 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 and the likes uh, Tom Condon, you know, those, those type of super agents pushed these huge salaries um, for these players and said, my, my guys won't play unless you pay him this and teams started paying that. And that that's when you stopped seeing, you know, five bucks for the, for to get into the game to sit in the bleachers with your college ID. Plus you get a beer and a hot dog. You don't see that anymore. And it's, it's because these teams have to pay for these players in order to get people to come watch and watch on TV and stuff. No question. Absolutely. Hey, let's go on to Villa. I think, uh, and we'll probably save our kit conversation for, for next weekend. Let's talk about the Villa match coming up midweek. This is a critical, important match for, for Spurs to win. If we're going to stay in the, the sixth spot and, and try to wrap up Europa. Um, Mike, what's your take on this match? Looking, looking ahead. What do you think? I, I think it's going to be much like Wolves, you know, um, Villa's kind of down. Um, they know they don't have anywhere to go in the table. They're not, they're not being relegated. They're not getting into Europe. Um, well, not the two that, that people want to get into at this point, we need to, we are fighting. We want to be in Europa league. Um, though it might be cool to be in that third tier just to watch the, some of the teams that we don't know about um, Villa, I think is in the same position as wolves. I think they're going to play some of the younger players. They're going to go out there. They're still, they're still going to be kind of that team that, that pushes forward, uses their, uses their, uh, uses their forwards um, on, on the, on the right and left to, to fire the ball into the box. You know, you're going to see Grealish doing his thing out there. He's still not back to hundred percent from what, from his injuries. Um, you know, I, I, I think you're going to see a lot of guys out there trying to just play their game, get the games over with, without getting hurt. Um, and I think that that's two Spurs advantage. Um, it's also two Spurs advantage if Leicester um, beats Chelsea this weekend because then Leicester can rest some of their guys at the, you know, at the end of the season against us too. Uh, not saying that they will, because I'm sure they want to get every point possible, but I, I think you're going to see a lot of, a lot of the same. I think Spurs are going to have um, a pretty good time pushing the ball up the field, getting on the front foot, um, you know, getting, getting Harry Kane out there, um, getting Harry Kane out there playing and playing that, that traditional striker role so he can, you know, get Mo Salah off his back. Um, but I, I just think that it's going to be a similar typical type of game that you would see from a Villa or a Wolves. I mean. Steve, talk, let's talk lineup. What do you want to see? Let's start with the back four, work your way up to, to the striker. What would you like to see on the pitch? 
I want Tanganga to finish off the season. I want him to play every single game at right back. I don't care if Aurier is back from injury or illness or whatever excuse they made for him to be out of that game. Tanganga needs to be that guy. I would love to see Dyer banished to the bench and and let Rodon um, come in and and do his thing because, I mean, I think he honestly deserves it. He's the only center back outside of Toby that I feel um, has – had a shout for, for a deserving spot in that starting 11. And I, it just baffles me that he doesn't get in there. Um, Toby, obviously keep him in there. Let's keep uh, Reggian going down the side on, on the left. Um, obviously Hugo in goal, you keep Hoybjerg in the center. I really, really, really want Ndombele over Lo Celso. Yes. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm sure we'll see Lo Celso again. Uh, partnering Hoiberg in that pivot, but I just, it's just uninspired to me right now. Um, I'm, I'm sure the front four is going to stay the same Sun, Delhi, Bale, and Kane up top. Although I, I, I don't know, man, it's, it's tricky because, you know, I, I, against Wolves, they looked good, but, you know, Bale's not going to track back. He's not going to help out defensively. You know, I, I still think that Sonny's lacking a bit of confidence. He doesn't seem like he's as aggressive going forward. You know, there are arguments that I would make for either of those to be swapped out, um, but I doubt that's going to happen. Um, and I just honestly, I need Mason to be a bit more um, aggressive with his man management. I need him to understand that Villa and Leicester are must win games and he needs to treat it as must win games. This isn't a time to, to stroke anybody's ego or, you know, be anybody's buddy. Like you need to understand when somebody's not giving you what you need and yank them quickly. Um, that's the only way we're going to get anything. And the only other comment that I really have uh, ahead of these games is, you know, now that top six is firmly in Spurs's control, we're going to, give it up. I guarantee we're going to lose at least one of these next two games. It's, it's, you know, anytime this season and in most seasons really where Spurs' destiny has been in their own hands, they fucked it up. And I don't see this as being any other, you know, this guy. Yeah. Just (laughs) Steve, the Steve, the pragmatist for sure. Right. But that has been a common statement is, is when I expect us to finish seventh, place and get the stupid conference league i'm not going to be disappointed when we finish in seventh place and get the stupid conference i mean if you look at who else is around us and their schedules honestly at this point i think we've got the harder schedule um oh, yeah. you know villa's a good team lester is a, a really good team um you know on the right day at least and um you know some of these other guys they're playing sheffield united west brom you know, mm-hmm. not knocking them. You know, West Brom kept Liverpool honest for for 94 minutes, and and Sheffield's you know was a thorn in Everton's side. But I, I just don't see lightning striking twice there. You know what I mean? Like Sheffield's not gonna take down another big team. Not this year. West Brom's not gonna take. The, yeah, exactly. It's you know you you got to look at what you can control and for Spurs it's Villa and Leicester and they are going to have their work cut out for them if they want to keep sixth place and I'm just not convinced that the team is capable of doing that right now all right so we are going to find out fellas and we're going to wrap things up for today so as always I appreciate uh spending time talking about our club with you um 
for our friends that are listening, you can find us on Twitter at Wicked Spursy, or you can also find us on Facebook and on most places where you listen to a podcast. Uh, looks like we got some company with us to share our parting lines. So on the count of three, my friend, one, two, three. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. There we go with that. Have a good one, fellas. Talk to you later. Yeah, take it easy. Bye.